But there's moments of little of joy all the time. If we only uh, kneel down in this case and stop to listen and pay attention, if we get out of our uh, incessant busyness. This is Meaningful Medicine. In a challenging and unpredictable world with high burnout rates, this is a podcast where incredible individuals share their most meaningful patient experiences and focus on those moments of positivity and joy that sparked their love of healthcare and changed the way they practice medicine. Hi, I'm Nicole Hohenstein, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at UCSF. Hi, I'm Shiva Kayambashi. I'm a doctor and professor of family and community medicine at UCSF. We're the co-hosts of Meaningful Medicine. We created this podcast to highlight stories of healthcare professionals who have found a sense of meaning, resilience, and joy in their work. Hi, Nicole. How are you doing today? Hi, Shiva. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. Excited to be here again. Thinking about today's podcast, and we're going to be talking about burnout and ways to find resilience. I'd love to hear how you find resilience and strength in your life. Yeah, I... I'm glad you asked me that about resilience, Nicole. I think what I find myself doing naturally, and I've always done this, even in medical school, is in really difficult times. That was among my first of difficult times was going to medical school, especially on the clerkships, on the wards. I found myself feeling so much because I'm a very deeply sensitive person, and I felt so much the pains of my patients and and my own experience of what that meant for me and what their experience is like. And I just felt it was, it's still very difficult for me to separate. And so what I do is I, I actually tend to become more quiet. Um, my tendency to give myself a place of finding my own inner strength or resilience is I tend to go inward and become quiet. And I tend to be drawn toward activities that help me sort of find quietness. And so that is often in the form of swimming or going for walks in nature. And also when I'm ready, once I've formulated my thoughts of, of what my experience is, um, then I talk to very close friends or, or colleagues, peers that I think could understand me. Uh, and they're different people for different things. So yes, you know, some of my situations I will call on my mom or my a close friend and others I'll call on a, a colleague who understands medicine in a way that they might even help advise me or guide me. So yeah, I would say community, community around others, and then that inner connection of peace. What about you, Nicole? What, what's been helping you to deal with stress and coping? Personally, I think family and friends, they're the people that I turn to. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily telling them how I'm feeling or sharing what I'm going through. Oftentimes, it's just being around them and physically them supporting me and just feeling like I'm not alone. And then taking the time to, I usually try to exercise almost daily and taking that time, listening to music and really allowing myself to refuel my body with movement. Yeah, absolutely, Nicole. And when we think about hope and the things that we hold on to, to give us some strength and resilience to get through difficult times, I feel really excited that we get to talk, um, spend some time with one of our favorite people. He's a dear friend and one of our returning podcast guests. Chaplain Bruce Feldstein is a very dear friend and a lovely human being and physician and chaplain. 
He had specialized in emergency medicine and practice for 19 years, and then an injury had led him to complete a chaplain residency, residency training in the year 2000 at Stanford's Clinical Pastoral Education Program. And last time that Bruce was a guest of ours, we discussed the role of spiritual care in healthcare. And today we're here to discuss finding joy and resilience during difficult times. So we're very excited to have him here, Dr. Bruce Feldstein, Chaplain Bruce Feldstein. Welcome, Bruce. Oh, thank you so much. How good to be back together. How very good to be back together. We're happy to have you. I'm, I think last interview, we, uh, we had so much to talk about that we just decided we needed to have you back for round two. There's something about coming together in the joining, meaningful joining, you know, and that's what we're doing. I, I cannot agree more. I think when we're talking about community and ways that we find resilience, especially during difficult times, I think creating communities just like this is one of those opportunities. Burnout can happen to, and it will, to any good people, any of us on this call right now or listening. You take good people and you put them in certain kind of impossible situations and we can get overwhelmed. So I want to be, I want to be aware that this isn't just to quote, feel good, but it's about life itself. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Um, as you know, we start each podcast by asking our guests to, in short, share a meaningful moment from early on in your training that was impactful or was a particularly formative experience. I'd like to share that popped to mind when I was a, uh, a beginning emergency medicine physician working night shifts at St. Joseph Hospital in Lorain, Ohio. I'd come back from working in the Cambodian refugee camp. I got this job. It was part-time, but it turned into a full-time job and, and my career in emergency medicine. So one, I'm in the emergency room and there's a little three-year-old girl and she comes in, she's holding her finger and the nurse says she got stung by a bee. So I walked over and I knelt down with her. She was very cute. Her mom's standing by. I said, my name is Dr. Bruce what happened? And she just very, you know, proudly stood up and said, I got bit by a bee. I said, Oh, bit by a bee. Well, how did that happen? She said, Well, I saw this bee and I went and I liked it so much. I wanted to take it and it bit me. I said, Why did you want to hold on to the bee? And she said, I just wanted to hear him talk. It was so sweet, so funny. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. And so here we are in the midst of this very busy emergency department. But there's moments of little of joy all the time. If we only uh, kneel down in this case and stop to listen and pay attention. If we get out of our uh, incessant busyness. By the way, the word busy for me is something I've uh, paid attention to. I, I learned this from a, in a book by a Protestant minister. Uh, called the Sabbath. And the, the notion of the Sabbath goes back to uh, Jewish tradition, but here's the Protestant minister speaking about it and the need to take time to stop. Wayne Muller is this minister. And he learned about this from a Dominican monk named Brother Stendhal Rast on the meaning of busy that he learned from the Chinese language. And in the Chinese language, the word for busy is comprised of two parts to this character. And one part means heart. 
I think of heart, as I've learned from uh, Rachel Remen, my dear friend and teacher, heart is more than a cardiac muscle. Heart is an organ of vision. It allows us to see, I mean, to like, not just see, but to know what is really most important. It's an organ for meaning. So that's one aspect of this character of busy heart. And then the other in this Chinese character is killing, heart killing. And isn't that so instructive about the nature of busy and busyness? That we zoom, 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 zooming all around, all the time, already in the pursuit of something and with blinders on and we're missing the meaning. We're missing the little moments of joy, of gratitude, of the sacred, of grace. And because of that, even when our busyness, as the minister says, even when our busyness is fueled by noble intent, we can suffer and we will because we're caught up in the busyness. So I've been paying attention to that in the emergency department and I just happened to stumble or I should say kneel down to this little girl and discovered joy right there. I could have come up and said, of course, oh yeah, there's a little bit of, there's some swelling, it's a histamine reaction and blah, 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 and sent the parents on the way, but no. And it was good for her and it was really, uh, it was healing for me. It's an example of joining, being with, and the joy just seems to sprout out of moments like that. Something else that was uh, very meaningful, but in a different venue, also in, in room two of this emergency department, uh, ambulance came in. Uh, Charlie won the base. We're en route with stab wound, left upper quadrant. And a guy came in. He had a knife blade. The handle was six inches long, and it was shoved in up to the hilt in his left upper quadrant. So I'm immediately imagining it's in his spleen. His blood pressure is 60 over palp. It's like nothing. And so we're getting... Start two large bore IVs, get some O negative blood, get Dr. Martinez, the trauma surgeon in here, get the OR ready. And we're just going boom, 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 portable x-ray. And somebody wants to take the blade out. No, 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 don't take the blade out. You don't want to do that because it might be pressing and tamponading a vessel. The last thing you want to do is cause further internal bleeding. We get the x-ray, we put it up on the view box and there's the knife just sticking in there. And then it's change of shift. So I sign him out to the next guy. I go into the back. I hang up my white coat, put on my regular coat. And this was a moment that was so interesting. I came out and now I'm standing outside the room watching. I'm standing outside the room watching the room where I was in just moments later. And everybody's bustling around, et cetera. And I started to feel nauseous. I started to feel like really sick to my stomach. I was overwhelmed with the, I don't know, I can't even put words. It's a complex emotion. You know, some emotions are, it's, it's many things together. And there was something about the horror of it. It was something about the smells in the room, something about the, uh, the drama, is he going to make it? And literally I couldn't stand it. And then I wondered what's going on moments later, moments before I was inside the room, but now I'm not. And so I realize, actually I'm realizing right now, because this has a lot to do with resilience, is to know ourselves, to know that in different situations, we are embodied beings in different ways. We truly are multiple selves. So the person who's walking out on the street 
leaving the emergency room is different than the one who is standing there, yet it's all inside the same being. And that's something that's left me like a mystery. And I continue to puzzle about that over all these years. Bruce, thank you for sharing those stories. Each one brought different emotions, I think, for both myself and Nicole, and we're really touched by them. Um, this last story that you shared, I wonder if you could comment on something that I hear medical students talk a lot about or ask a lot about, and I did also, which is, the question is, I am an emotional person, and I am a human person, and I'm really scared about when I go onto the wards and start learning about being with people in really difficult scenarios like gunshot wounds, traumas, accidents, very severe advanced cancers, things that are devastating to people. I'm afraid I might feel too emotional and I might cry. Um, how do I, but I also don't want to become distanced and I don't want to do what they talk about this professional distancing, which makes me right. feel disconnected. So this, the, it's a dilemma and it's a big question that I'm not sure um, how to answer exactly. So wondering what your perspective is on that and how you would advise people in their training as they're learning. How do you stay connected but maintain enough objectivity to be able to do what's right? This is such a, a crucial question uh, for the students. I can remember it for myself, for the students that, I'm, that I work with now. But you know what? Not just for students, it's for all of us because... I think, you know, at Stanford, where I teach, when we do reflection rounds, we'll introduce ourselves and say what year we are, you know, and somebody will say, I'm an MS3, medical student, three out of four years, or three out of five, or seven out of nine, or something like that. I think of myself as an MS47. <laughs> so I just want to say that we're, all, we're always learning, and this is about emotional fortitude. You know, we are human beings. We are emotional beings. So... Uh, why do we even cut ourselves off from the tears? You know, what kind of professionalism says that we're not going to allow this? We're going to like amputate this aspect of my being, this emotional part of my being, so that I could be this uh, objective, pure in my head, thoughtful person. You know, that might have worked in the time of, you know, a, a, a Descartes, Cartesian kind of mechanistic thinking, but I'm in medicine. I think of medicine in terms of healing, of caring, of being with, and, and bringing all of who I am, all my humanity and my personal experience into the room, as well as my expertise in learning. I don't want to put that out. So that's, that's one thing I want to say. I learned this most vividly, actually, when I went back to do my chaplaincy residency, this issue of crying and professionalism. Because like you, Shiva, um, to cry was, and to show tears was weakness, and you can't do that. And so it was about week two of my residency as a chaplain. Father Hester had been around for a long time at Stanford, and I asked him if I might shadow him on rounds. And so he went out to see a patient of his, a woman in her 30s with pulmonary uh, hypertension, who's going for a double lung transplant. So along I went, and this woman is about to go into the operating room. She's surrounded by her brother, sister, mother, and friend, and Father Hester. And they were in a way that he would like to do. It's a very Catholic family, and he would want to bless her. So he invited people to say, let's call her Jill. Tell Jill, what does she mean for you? And so people went around. They shared their meanings. What do you appreciate about her? What are your hopes for her? 
And then it got very heartfelt and tender and deep very fast. And I'm standing off to the corner because I'm, you know, I'm a baby chaplain. I'm about two weeks old, right? And besides, I'm a Jewish chaplain, not Catholic. But Father Hester, you know, that didn't matter for him because what he observed is that when we get to the bedside, all our religious zip codes disappear. We're all in the same place. It's a human place, a place I've come to appreciate of our common humanity, a place of, it's an emotional place. It's a place of meaning. So he invited me to join the circle when they were going to have a blessing. And so we're all now holding hands because that's how they did it. And they were sharing a blessing. And as they did, people started to cry around the circle, as you could imagine. They didn't know, is Jill going to make it through this surgery? You know, she's in pretty tenuous condition and a double lung transplant is no small thing. People are crying. And then I look over, I'm standing next to a father Hester and he invites me to, to say a prayer. And I, I found some words to say, and then he starts to uh, say something. And I see that he's, he's starting to cry himself. He's got tears that are starting to stream not down, but over his cheeks and down his nose. And because we're holding hands, you can't like take your arm and kind of wipe. So it's just dripping. And I'm horrified. I'm going, oh my God, this is so unprofessional. This is like, you, you just don't do this. You know, I'm, I'm coming out of emergency medicine career. And there he is standing there. And I looked around the circle and do you know, and I watched people watching Father Hester and I could see in their eyes that their esteem for him was going up. Their comfort and confidence about being in this situation was becoming solidified and comforted. And I came to recognize that his allowing his tears in this way was conveying a message that I am here with you in the midst of this fire, in the midst of this anguish and uncertainty and of the love my heart is with yours. It's opening and broken in some ways. I am uncertain. And yet he was not overwhelmed by this. He stood unafraid, feet planted at the end of that bed, uh, unafraid. And I realized, oh, wow, this is something I would like to aspire to. What is it like to really join and be with someone in the midst of that emotional space that conveys that I am here with you and is unafraid? Yes. Thank you so much for that amazing description. I think as someone who is entering emergency medicine residency this coming year, fingers crossed, that is something that I do wonder about. I wonder about how much emotion is too much emotion. And then a follow-up for you is you describe these moments of heartbreak and these very difficult moments in time that you share with patients and you empathize with them. How do you recover and avoid feeling burnt out? Fantastic question. I have a lot to say, as you might imagine. But let me start by saying all the things I'm about to say, I didn't learn in medical school. And I did not have these practices. And I did not recover. You know, I, I wound up in burnout too. You know, depressed, wondering what life means, uh, can't stand it, finding myself crying sometimes different things like that. And then I, I came to realize 
you know, I got to do something about this. I, I think of burnout. And in those days, we didn't talk about burnout. But, you know, there are three classical elements of burnout. What are they? You know, the exhaustion, the bodily, physical exhaustion. You know, it's not the kind of tired where you've been up all night or into the next day and you're exhausted. And you're, but you're, you know, you're feeling well used. You've put in a good day and you're exhausted. It's no, it's the kind of exhaustion where like you're depleted and you're get up and go, got up and went. And even in the middle of that, I know as an emergency doctor, we would say, oh, you know, I'm squeezing out all the adrenaline in my adrenal glands, but that's okay. Cause I got another adrenal gland. I'm just going to go for that one too, while we grab another cup of coffee. No, 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 no. Uh, so exhaustion. So I learned a lot about really needing rest. The body needs rest. Uh, another one was the cynicism. It's like the, so what? I don't care. And I'm a heartfelt guy, but I recognize this one day. In the emergency room, I came in and there was our usual stack. That was the days of paper stack of files. And the nurse says, you know, we've got three patients waiting for you. And we've got a, a new one coming in I want to tell you about. And do you know what I heard the words coming out of my mouth? I said to her, and this was one of my favorite nurses. And I was really, you know, I was well liked there. I was a you know, good guy. I'd stay calm in the middle of things. I found myself saying, you know what? I don't give a fuck. Oh my God, did I just say that? What? Who's inhabiting this body? And I'm learning that you take any good person, you put us in that kind of thing in an unrelenting way, we will get burned out and start acting and becoming cynical. So I went to work on it. I learned about five key relationships at a conference. And I said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one on. Key relationships for staying born. I mentioned one of them was about colleagues. But the first one was... a. Uh, was taught to me was a key relationship with yourself. It starts there. And it was, first of all, we have one body. This is it. Like, really? That's not an obvious thing. You know, we really have to take care of our body. We take one breath at a time. There's wisdom in that. Our heart beats one beat at a time. We don't try and beat 20 beats at a, in, at a time. Every time a neuron fires, it stops afterward for a refractory period. It, it rests. But somewhere I missed the memo, you know, in the go, go, going. So it was about taking care of my body and appreciating, yes, I can do more than I can even conceive on the one hand. And that's true. On the other hand, I can only do what I can do. I really do need to rest. The body needs rest. We need to replenish. So that was the first one. Second was a soul friend. And there's research on this. If you have someone in your life who you can turn to at two or three o'clock in the morning, no matter what, who will be there for you and embrace you and support you, no matter what, a soul friend, these people live longer. There's epidemiology on this. They live longer and have fewer uh, morbidity than those who do not. And the soul friend can be our spouse, can be our friends. It could be also a stranger. It could be a, our spouse, except on days when it's not, you know, but a soul friend, who is this in, in your life? I was asked and I ended up with a big question mark. I now have, I've cultivated a network of soul friends and it can show up in little moments. Just, you know, Nicole, I see you and Shiva like soul friends because we can talk in this kind of way. 
and you're also colleagues, so there's overlap. Third is a, a therapist, a therapist, a mentor, a spiritual director. These are people who like to get into that emotional mess. You know what I mean? They like that. When we're uh, tumulted around, when we're stirred and we don't know which way is up, and these are people who can be with us. We all take our turn being on the other side as healers. Healers need healers. And the, the fifth relationship was with the transcendent, that which is beyond myself. For me, I experience that in a lot of ways, certainly out in nature. The minute I say that, I'm sure you're thinking about things that maybe come to mind for you. Grand vistas, being out hiking, solitude in the forest, stopping to look at a, a drip of dew and the way the light comes through it, the smell of the pine, the sound of a, a bird, other kind of transcendent moments that take me out of myself where I'm not even aware, listening to a baby laugh and then laughing. And who are you? Where are you in the middle and at the end of a laugh? <laughs> you see, the transcendent moment isn't just big ones out there. It's around us. How else do we experience that? Uh, exercise, walking by a playground, playing music, listening to music, looking at art, doing art, reading poetry. For those of us who are religious, it's in worship, it's in prayer, it's in, you know, so many things in that kind of community. So key relationships is certainly something that I've cultivated. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for sharing that summary of the five relationships. Uh, I'm just going to remind myself, the relationship with ourselves, the relationship with a soul friend, the relationship with a therapist or mentor, the relationship with colleagues, and the relationships with uh, the transcendent. And um, something that makes me wonder when you mentioned nature um, and taking care of ourselves and the connections, and you also mentioned poetry. It just brings to mind one way to relieve our feelings of burnout is to connect with those relationships. Among those are some poetries um, that I have relationship with and poets. And I wondered if it would be a good time for me to share a poem that I think we're both, I think all three of us are quite familiar with. So Mary Oliver, Wild Geese, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. That is so beautifully read and, and chosen. It makes me think about a dear friend, Art Johnson, who I've taught with for years before he retired, and he would about that poem, he would say that's a psychology class in a poem. You know, that's something we could design our lives around. You do not have to be good. I mean, that's not what life's about. It's not, it's about living. Life's about living. And there's good and there's not good. And but you don't have to be good. And let the animal of your body love what it loves. 
we are animals, we're bodies. And that's something I really stop and, and think about and honor. What is that like to honor that? And uh, to share our despair. We're emotional beings, inescapable. And you know what? There's a joy in that, including in the midst of suffering, I want to make note. Sometimes we can find such meaning in the struggle when we're with people, and it may not be pretty, and it may not be, it may not smell good or you know, make us nauseous and sick. But yet we stay there and we find meaning in that commitment. And there can be a quality of joy in that that maybe we're not alone and we can be proud of that. And meanwhile, the world goes on. What about grief? There's moments of loss or things that happen to each of us or that we're witness to all the time. And grief is the, the reaction to loss, the reaction. And I don't just mean loss like death, but certainly that's it. But Maybe we hope for something, a, a fellowship, a research project, a grant. It doesn't come through. Oh, she's the one. He's the one. I know this is the, the best person I've ever met. And then we find out something and no, it's not. Well, learning to grieve is one of the great life skills. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for reflecting on the whole poem uh, together with us. I'm curious if going back to burnout and resilience and being able to heal from that, do you have any other views about burnout and any other practical tips on what any of us, all of us could consider as we think about our own place and our energy levels and where we are with our feelings of either feeling already burnt out or feeling close to that? How do we help well, one another? I think it Part of the, my response is in your question when you end up saying, how do we help one another? It's to remember that we're in this together and it can happen and will to any of us and we take our turn and we can be there with and for each other. Uh, I, have, I have crying practices. I don't know about you. I find it helpful. I have crying practices. Uh, often when I'm at home uh, reading the newspaper and I, in a, a touching story, it's never on the front pages. It's more buried inside. And then I'll notice the tears come up. I'll just let it rip. Or I'll be watching TV and there might be a commercial of a dog or something sweet. And it might just touch me in that moment or when I'm watching a movie and ask my wife, I'll just let it go. There's something about that that's energetically good. I'm a big fan of chocolate. Um, I like chocolate too. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think about spiritual fitness, you know, what are the practices for meaning and purpose and a sense of connectedness and belonging? I don't know which ones do you have that bring you meaning and allow you to see and remember what matters most for you, you know, and who are the people that help you do that? And when you, you know, you, you fall or you get lost, what kind of practices for humility and allowing for forgiveness uh, are available to each of us to allow us to reach out to others and give them the opportunity to be of service for us and the joy that comes with that? I'd love to follow up with a question of how, how can we find joy in the midst of burnout, suffering, and difficult situations? And how... How do you define joy? I don't think I want to define joy. Some things can't be defined. They can be experienced. They can be lived, recognized, celebrated. 
but some there's some parts of life that cannot be described or defined. You know, like the little girl who wanted to hear the bee talk. You know joy. You know what brings you joy? I'll I'll can ask it rhetorically or you know, what brings you joy? And what about moments of joy including in a sad time or following a sad time? I've been thinking about uh, and I love the work of Martin Seligman and the positive psychology I don't know, movement, discipline. And he speaks about five elements of well-being. He used to think about happiness, uh, but it wasn't a big enough pursuit because people can have a sense of well-meaning, you know, and not necessarily feel happy. Maybe we're more of a melancholy type of a person. You know, some of us are that way. And he distinguishes these five elements, and I and I like mnemonics because you know I'm an old emergency medicine doctor, and I need things in alpha, you know, I need alphabetical letters to guide me. Perma, P E R M A, and P is for positive emotions, which includes joy. It includes also awe, and grace, and gratitude, and and those kind of positive emotions. Perma E, this is engagement. When we're, we're engaged in something, we're in the flow of it, we lose a sense of time. R, we're relational beings. We think about that relational space, the constellation of relations who we are. M, meaning. Well, we could go on and speak about that. And A is accomplishment. So this isn't just like feeling. It's not about touchy-feely. No, this is about for the sake of our living and our actions and our accomplishments and so I found that a very helpful context for thinking about not just the absence of burnout, but the presence of something more. And, that, and I'm interested, not just the absence of burnout, having been there myself a number of times, I know that it can be mitigated. We can have a prophylactic against it by having certain skills and attitudes and such. This is not rocket science, but oh, if they only taught me this, what I learned along the way, and maybe you have some ideas too about this. And Let's bring this forth for others so that they don't have to fall into some of the same pitfalls. And let's talk also about when you do fall into a pitfall, how to recognize that and what, to, what kind of safety net to have already set up along the way. What are key relationships, for example, that can keep us emotionally buoyant when we continue this uh, commitment to medicine is we have all said yes to medicine, to our commitment to healthcare, to our commitment to being of service. We've all said that, and that's something we hold in common. We're of a certain kind of a collective, if you will, a certain community because of that. And that allows us to be with and for each other in a way that others cannot. And thinking about key relationships that keep me buoyant, I know that colleagues is certainly one of those key relationships. And I keep that in mind. And, and I want to say, this is so important, because when we said, each of us said yes to medicine, I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I was making a commitment, and I had no idea what I was committing myself to. But there's joy to be found, and there's joy to be experienced along the way. And that, that's something sustaining. How's that for a non-answer? <laughs> <laughs> That was a wonderful answer and non-answer, but it was an answer. Thank you, Bruce. Um, we're just really enjoying talking with you and listening with you. And I think when I uh, think of myself and my experiences and also students and residents and colleagues that I've cared for who we go through difficult times sometimes, 
more, much more difficult than others, a lot of stress and pain and sorrow. And the things that really keep and hold us up, the life preserver that keeps us up mm. in, the, in the very difficult storms and waves that are tumultuous, it really ends up being relationships. And I really appreciated your talking about relationships with each other, supporting one another, asking each other, how are you? How are you really? You know, not just how are you, the surface answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really appreciate that idea of trusting ourselves to ask for help, trusting and asking others for help uh, and trusting life in a way that if we keep going one day at a time, we will get to the other side of this very difficult patch and that there is joy on the other side of it. And I do think one of the time, one of the things that we lose sight of when we really are feeling at the end of our rope, you know, kind of exhausted, burnt out in the sense that we're even losing our sight of the meaning and purpose of what we do and um, are feeling disconnected. I think that reaching for one another and reaching for those deep things inside and outside of ourselves are, are what really help us. Um, yeah. And talking about this with you really has brought light to that. We really appreciate it. I wondered as we wrap up the podcast, do you have any advice specifically for our listeners on how to find their resilience and strength during these difficult times? I want to go back to what you said. It's in, it's, uh, it's in relationship with others talking about it. I want to go back to the question, really living in it, wondering about it. What is resilience? And for me, what works for you may work for me or may not. Relationship with others. But And you said something else about life. We're in relationship with life itself. Are these things that you've been hearing already in your medical training or in other things? Or, you know, where does what I what we, the conversation we have here, where does it fit into what people are already uh, listening to or not? Or you, know, not you know, I think community, family, friends is something that has always been emphasized. I have noticed as of recently, the stigma surrounding mental health and accessing a therapist has gone away. A lot of people say, if you're a doctor, you need to have a therapist. That should just be the baseline. And that's something that I, I don't think I had heard before. And I think that what we've lost during the pandemic is this automatic community. And so I think that other things such as nature, such as exercise, such as spirituality have become more important for me personally with not having access to people like I normally do before the Mm. pandemic. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Bruce. I think just having our listeners recognize that it's okay to reach out and it's okay to ask for help and build that community or rebuild that community. If that's something that's been lost. And more than just, okay, it's necessary. Can't live without it. And at least in a way that will be, you know, flourishing. I think. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate you being with us again today. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today and allowing us to be one of your meaningful moments. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share with friends, family, and colleagues. Meaningful Medicine was produced by Shiva Kayambashi, Nicole Hohenstein, David Elkin, and Catherine Chan. Editing by Nicole Hohenstein. Intro and closing by Daniel Wentling. On Meaningful Medicine, we are careful to ensure that all stories are compliant with healthcare privacy laws and details may have been changed to ensure patient confidentiality. 
All views expressed are of the person speaking and not their employer.